0: Would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, and just want to say that the opening uh, chapter, opening verses of uh, this book are very, very rich. And if you've, uh, and I would recommend actually that you read it uh, throughout the week uh, to read through the book of Titus several times in preparation. I don't think we're going to finish the introduction today, at least those first four verses, because the sermon's about ten pages long. And uh, I don't think y'all want to stay here that late. Anyway, we have to quit because Sunday school starts at 10.15 and the next service starts at 11.15. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for me as I would preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us, for unless your Spirit blesses, uh, then it is all for no good purpose. Open up our hearts, Lord, take away our unbelief. Be with me as I preach your word today with the unction of your Holy Spirit, with full conviction. Be with the congregation. We pray that if any here whose hearts are hardened against the gospel, that you would change that heart, that you would soften it. If any here are doubting, Lord, that you would assure them. Their faith by your grace. Pray that you would bless us in Christ's name. Amen. As noted last week, the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle. There's not any debate about that. Scholars do not question that whatsoever. Titus is one of three letters that Paul writes called the Pastoral Epistles. Uh, One is written to Timothy, the other written to Titus that we are studying this morning. Uh, two are written to Timothy, actually 1st and 2nd Timothy. Uh, Paul wrote these letters to these men because he left them in charge of churches. Uh, Timothy was left in Ephesus. He was to teach. He was to preach. He was to install elders. Titus was left in Crete. He was to preach. He was to teach. And he was to install elders there as well. The apostle wrote the book of Titus on his fourth missionary journey. It's between 62 and 80, 62 and 64. And there is, as I told you last week, a strong emphasis on doctrine and proper Christian conduct. For the apostle Paul, and it should be for us as well, doctrine should influence the way that we think, the things that we do, the way that we live. As the psalmist says, thy word is lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, this morning, as we continue on in this these texts, we want to see the why of the Apostle's ministry. Why was it that he was so committed uh, to doing what he did? The Apostle Paul was a successful man. He was a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was well respected in the Jewish community among religious leaders. The Apostle Paul was very, very influential, and as you know, he was converted on his way to Damascus, stricken blind for three days, and he was converted through that experience and What the apostle Paul gave up was pretty much a life of of ease in exchange for that, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked on the island on the island of Malta, and he went was hungry at times, we read. And so the life that he lived, which was the life of Brother Ease, he traded it all in and finally was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Well, what would drive a man to do this? Why would he go about this? We're going to see that uh, this morning. Uh, Briefly, last week, the Apostle Paul was called to preach, chosen by God, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an apostle of Jesus, which meant he was actually called by Christ, that he saw the risen Lord. That's what an apostle is, one who's called and saw uh, the risen Lord. So Paul was a servant of God and an apostle of Christ. We also saw that what a splendid example of grace this is for this man to be called into the ministry. Uh, he was one who, as you know, persecuted Christians. He was one standing by watching the cloaks of those people who killed Stephen. So he was, to say the least, an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the church. Then this great grace comes to the life of the Apostle Paul, and he became one of the greatest missionaries that our church has ever known. And it was, he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, that everything that the Apostle did, everything that he said, everything that he taught was all for the building up, of the elect of God, the building up of the church of God. All that Paul did in relation to his calling was to encourage and build up the faith of God's people, not to discourage, not to tear down, but to be positive, and in that preaching, to build them up, whether it was a call to repentance, to turn away from sin, whether it was a call of encouragement, to rest in Christ, whatever the case may be. He gave them what they needed from the gospel, from the word of God for the building up of their faith. And you notice it is called their knowledge of the truth. And so as the Apostle Paul preached, he preached God's word, which is truth. What does Jesus say in John seventeen seventeen? sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And I would say this uh, before we move on. All truth is from God. Uh, all mathematics works in such a way it is because of God's orderliness. We live in a universe not of chaos. We live in a universe of order, even the rotation of the planets, according to God's working. What does it say in the book of Hebrews? He upholds the universe. That Christ, see the right hand of God, upholds the universe. So, uh, all knowledge, all truth comes from God. Well, here particularly he talks about the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a life-transforming knowledge. It is a practical knowledge as well as it speaks to us about daily Christian living, about being Christ-like, about being godly. Well, this is where we, can go. all that's from last Sunday. This morning I have us to see this as we look at the portions of this sermon. Uh, In this text, Christians should have a high commitment to avail themselves to the proclamation of the gospel. Christians should have a high commitment to avail themselves to the proclamation of the gospel because the message of the gospel is the message of eternal life. In the first place, then, actually the second point from last week, but the purpose of Paul's preaching. Paul understood the message he preached was from God. God gave it to him. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. Uh, At times it was delivered by the angels in the Old Testament. And so it comes to the Apostle Paul from God himself. Paul received his call from God. Paul also understood the message he preached was from God. It was the message of redemption. So the message itself is not myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. It was not conceived in the minds and hearts of men. We are convinced that the gospel came forth to us from the God of all creation. It is the gospel, the good news about eternal life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the message Paul preached was the message that once embraced, once believed, has great benefits. The message Paul preached, once believed, once embraced, has great benefits. The end of Paul's preaching was to ensure the hope of salvation. It is astounding how short life is. I'm 66 years old. It's gone by very, very rapidly. Very, very rapidly indeed. The brevity of life. Life is short, shorter for some than others, but life is short. The longest life is at best short. Psalm 39:5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. Now, my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stand as a mere breath. James chapter 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Ruth Dalahan lived 93 years. Mr. Smith, who just buried in Hattiesburg, was 91 years old, I think, or 92. If we could speak to them, if, if, if they were able to be cognizant as they were breathing their last and able to think, they would tell us, where did the time go? Where did the time go? It went so quickly. Where did the time go? But listen to this. <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. Hear me now. How long you live. It doesn't really matter. Some people die young. Some people, if you live to 140 years old, it doesn't matter that much. What matters is what happens at the end of your life. What matters is how you live your life throughout the years that God gives to you. The gospel the Apostle Paul was teaching, the gospel the Apostle Paul was preaching, and this is it in a nutshell, it is to believe in the incarnation of God that to believe that the Virgin Mary became pregnant by a miraculous work of the Spirit of God, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he kept the law for us, and that he uh, took our penalty upon himself on the cross of Calvary, that he died, he was held by the power of death for a time, and was resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God, where he rules over all things. That's the gospel. That was the message that Paul preached. And the message of the gospel sets us free from the mastery of death. If you're a Christian, death does not have the last word in your life. It does not have the final say in your life. We make no mistake, we're not naive. Christians die. They've been dying a long time. Christians do die. But it's more to think of it as a change of address. We don't go to nothingness. We don't become uh, non-existent. What did Jesus say? Our God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Well, the gospel is a message of life in two ways. In the first place, if you're a Christian today, you have the richness of knowing Christ And the benefits of being a believer. If you're a Christian today, you have the richness of knowing Christ and the benefits of being a Christian. Well, what are those benefits? Well, today we can commune with God in prayer. If you're a believer, you can go into the throne room of God and you can unburden your heart to God. You can ask God for help. He hears and he acts. That's a great benefit. To think that the creator of all things, who is infinite in his being, listens to you. If you're a Christian today, you can commune with God in prayer, knowing that he hears you. Today, if you're a Christian, you may know that he does not hold your sins against you. And don't get me wrong. Our sins do not please God. He is not pleased with them. But they don't condemn us. He's not pleased. He will discipline us. And sometimes he disciplines us for no reason. Not that we've done anything. As it says in the book of Hebrews, in order that we may share in his holiness. But though we mess up, and we will mess up, for there's not a man who doesn't sin. We don't take comfort in that, or we don't rationalize, well, that's just the way we are. Uh, we are to strive to be a godly before the Lord, strive to be perfect. As it says in Matthew five forty-eight: you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But when we do fail, our God does not condemn. Listen to the scriptures. Wretched man that I am, this is the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will, if you're a Christian, you will not see hell. I read Spurgeon this; he was uh, commenting on this. He said that... Um, If you are a Christian today, if you're trusting Christ today for your salvation, you are saved. If you're not trusting Christ today for your salvation, you're condemned. Plain and simple. He was raised reading the scriptures for our justification. So today uh, you experience his forgiveness. Today you are able to learn more and more about him. And I want to urge you, just urge you to please read the scriptures. Please spend time in in the Word of God. Please try to memorize these texts that we have before us each week. By word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Not by word have I put on my bookcase. To have it in your heart means you've got it. You've got it in your mind and heart. You've got it memorized. And everybody here can memorize Scripture. I would urge you to read the Scriptures and to make it something that is a priority in your life every single day. Today, if you're a Christian, you experience His presence and His peace as well and comfort. What a blessing to know God loves me. What a blessing to know He's working things that are ultimately for my good. Though I may not see it today, ultimately it is for my good. I can rest in that because... He loves me. Today, if you're a Christian, you enjoy the richness of all the blessings that you have in your life. A wife, a home, a child, and the great promise of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we talk about life in Christ. We can talk about it in two ways. Again, the first thing being that we have Richness of life and fellowship with Jesus today. The second thing is, the gospel is much more than about blessings we enjoy in this world. The gospel is about blessings that we will enjoy in the world to come. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what good things God has in store for those who love him. So the gospel is about life. is about life everlasting, unending life, living in perfect unity and peace with God, free from sin, free from temptation, and to be free from any sickness again. That's heaven. That's what God has done for us. That's what the Lord will do for you. And the hope that he has here, I hope he says here in the text about the resurrection, uh, the hope of eternal life. Oh, what is the Apostle Paul not saying? Well, the hope is not an expression of uncertainty. It's kind of like uh, I can say, I hope it rains today. Well, we kind of need the rain, but it sure doesn't look like it. I hope, but I don't think it's going to happen. Wishful thinking. I can say, I hope I go to Florida this year, but I can't say 100% that I'll be there. I don't know. I hope to go. I'm planning to go. But it is perhaps wishful thinking. Something could happen, and I could not be there. I do not control or predict the future. Neither do you. We cannot control or predict the future. God controls and God directs the future. Where will Southwest Presbyterian Church be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? I don't know. We've had a lot of people missing in action because of COVID. A lot of folks listen home. That's a great thing to have this marvel of technology. People can sit home and, and uh, observe the service. What I would hope for the church, I would hope that it will be full of people. I would hope that the preaching would be solid and sound. I would hope that people would be being converted. I would hope for unity in the church. I would hope this would be a light for the cause of Christ in this area. And I pray that. This next Wednesday when we have our prayer time, I want you to pray for the church. That's one of the things we're going to focus on, prayer for the church. Pray for yourselves. Pray for God's grace that you would grow in knowledge and holiness but pray for the church, for this church. Pray for our presbytery, which is the Houston Metro Presbytery, and pray for our general our assembly uh, that will be coming to a meeting, I guess, this coming summer, perhaps. Well, I tell you something that is a sad sight to see: is a building that used to be a church, and it's empty. There was a beautiful building on Westheimer, I think. It might have been elder you could tell it was a, it was a church building at one time. Very pretty. Old stained wood. And now it's a restaurant. What happened? I pray that doesn't happen here. When we were in Scotland, those times we went over there for the bagpipe competition, um, there were a lot of empty buildings, empty church buildings. There was one in Stirling called, uh, the Church of the Holy Rood, which they were rooted in there, that's the one where they had the wall built between the two sides, where one group came in on one side, the other group came on the other side, the east and west side. Uh, they had a falling out over a pastor, and they didn't want to see one another, so, so they didn't want to give up the building. So they built a dividing wall. They wouldn't, wouldn't speak. They'd come in to worship, and they would leave. That wall was taken down, I think, in the 1930s or 40s. But there were like 12 people left in that building for that church. So they had a collection box as you went in. The church was probably built in the 1700s. They had a, you know, a place you could put money so they could maintain the building. Other church buildings that uh, we saw in, in uh, um, I think, Balcutta, I think is how you pronounced it, it was a totally empty building. The all Presbyterian churches. That's a sad, sad thing to see. What we want to see happen is God to bless. And so we pray that God might bless And the hope that God might bless and the hope of heaven is a certainty. It means an anticipation and expectation and confidence and to anticipate with pleasure. That's what hope means. It's not like I hope it rains, but I don't know if it's going to. I hope I go to Florida, but I don't know if I can. It is a confidence, this hope that the Apostle Paul has, a confidence And so we read in Acts 23 and verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now, keep this in mind. Here's this man who was doing all he could possibly do to destroy the church. All he could possibly do to snuff out the name of Christ. That was his. He lived for that, and he thought he was pleasing God, because the Messiah was supposed to be someone that would overthrow Rome and they reestablish Israel in that position of power as it was in the days of King David. Well, that's not what Christ was about. This man was converted, and gave his life for the gospel. He had to be absolutely convinced in the reality of the message of Christ in order to stand on trial for it. I'm standing here today before you because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Because I'm confident that the day is going to come that I will come out of the grave by the power of Christ. The certainty of the Apostle Paul, again, Galatians 5, 5. For through my spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait For the hope of the resurrection. All that Paul was doing. All that Paul was teaching. For the sake of the elect. Was to ensure them and encourage them. They had a future life. Which included their victory. Ultimately over sin and death. By the resurrection of the dead. That was his passion. And. It should be something that we long for and are confident of in our lives as well. Consider the biblical teaching of life connected with Jesus. Jesus is life. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I have come into the world that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So all things connected with the Lord Jesus Christ were things concerned with life. Sin and death, listen to this. Sin and death are the very antithesis of God, the very opposite of Christ. Jesus came to do away with the power of sin and the power of death. That's why he came into the world. And your resurrection from the dead will bring glory to Christ. See, it's, not, it's a great benefit for us. It's a wonderful thing that this is going to happen to us. But it's not simply for our benefit and our good and how great that will be. But it is to bring glory to the resurrected Savior. All things were made through him and all things were made by him. Well, Paul's passion in preaching as he has that, where does that come from? Well, the next phrase that Paul uses here in the text is for the purpose of annihilating all doubts about the certainty of the resurrection from the dead. As he says here in the text, uh, and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised. God who never lies promise. Contemplate the event that Paul is describing here. That there will be a last day of history. That the trumpet is going to sound, according to the Scriptures. That the dead in Christ are going to be raised. It's a clear teaching of the Bible. It's not conjecture. It's biblical. And we have God's Word on it. Matthew chapter 24, 30 and 31. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. First Thessalonians 4, 6. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus Christ is the prototype of our resurrection. You kind of want to get a picture of what the resurrection is going to be like when look at Christ. We read in the scriptures that uh, he was in a cave. Oh, I, I wouldn't mind being buried in a cave. I don't like the thought of being underground, even though I'm dead. I just don't like the thought of being in a box either. I'd rather be in a big cave, you know, with light and air conditioning in it. So Christ was in a cave, and uh, The angel came and moved this big stone out of the way, and Jesus came out alive. That's what's going to happen to us. See, believing this, clinging to this, will help encourage you to live for the glory of Christ today. And to recognize what he went through to bring us to a position of being able to be raised from the dead, will all the more it should encourage us to live to please him. Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday. Not just Easter. Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday. If we may read Revelation 20 verses 13 and 14. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to what they had done. What a great day. If you're a Christian and you're blind, you will not be blind then. If you're a Christian and you can't hear, you will be able to hear. Then if you're a Christian and you can't walk, you'll be able to walk then and stand on your legs. But let's not get confused and get ahead of ourselves or get behind ourselves. And when we die, we go to be with Christ. That's clear in Scripture. There's no such thing as a soul sleep. We go to be with Jesus, but as Paul, however, used to say, that's uh, the, the rest of the story is what Paul's talking about here in the text. The resurrection of the dead, which will happen. And we need to focus on that and rejoice in Christ because of that. Because it's all because of who Christ is. He who did not withhold his own son from us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. Do you know him this morning? Do you love him this morning? No matter how much you fail, no matter what you've done to mess up, Christ accepts those who come in sincerity. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then, by God's grace, live for his glory. Let's pray.